0: Jesus is teaching us and teaching the Jewish people that were following him and his disciples. And when I say disciples, I mean, of course, there's the 12. But then there were a lot of other followers that were called disciples as well. And, and the majority of his lesson here is teaching on the fact that, A, he is God's son, i.e. the Messiah that they were waiting for. And then number two is that through him one may have eternal life. He challenges us to believe on Him, to choose our destiny of eternal life or separation from Him. And this is a choice that no one can opt out of. It's not like a do not call list for your phone or an unsubscribe button for your email. Every one of us have to make this choice. And so what we're going to see is, is that What does it mean? What does it take to be a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus Christ? Because as we look at this passage today, and as we have seen through the last few sections of this chapter, is that there were a lot of people that were following Jesus. And within that crowd, it's almost like when you were in middle school or high school, you have different cliques and different groups of people that are running around, well, And they all have names, and they all have traits, and they all have commonalities. But in here we have a few different types of followers here. And so the first thing that we see in verses 41 through 50 is that true disciples do not oppose Jesus. There were many people that were following Jesus, especially Jewish leaders. Their one goal was to oppose Jesus at everything he said, scrutinize everything that he said, and try to get their point across to make themselves feel better. They were not interested in what Jesus had to offer. They were only interested in what they could oppose. So let's read these verses. Starting with verse 41, it says of chapter 6, Then the people began to murmur in disagreement, because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, Stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them to me. This is a very popular passage right there in verse 44. That he draws them to me, and at the last day, I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father. Only I, who was sent from God, have seen him. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes they have eternal life, yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats from the bread from heaven, however, will never die. Now that's a lot of verses to, to put into a few points, but, but let me give you the synopsis. The Jews here are saying, who does this guy think he is? We know his father. We know that his father had passed away. We knew that, that he had some brothers. We knew his mother. He was just a carpenter kid. That, that's all he was from, from Nazareth. He, a carpenter from Nazareth. And now he's telling us that he is God. We see here that Jesus in his ministry is moving from being the miracle worker to the teacher. He's moving from the miracle worker to be the teacher. Why do you think he's making that shift? Here's why. Because to receive a miracle, all you have to do is receive. People are like, oh, fish, oh, uh, bread, this is great. I I don't even have to work for this stuff. Just just give it to me, Jesus. Bless me, Jesus. And that's why they were following him. Look, Look, as a Christian, we can receive the blessings of Jesus, and it really costs us nothing. There are people that go to great churches or small churches, medium-sized churches, that they will sit in the pew, and I promise you, when Jesus comes back, they will still be sitting in that pew. Because they are there at church for worship, for their circle of friends, for their own selfish desires, and just because that's what they've always done, they were raised to do that. And hearing sermon after sermon, song after song, grading them on their scorecard, and then being able to talk about it during the week, never feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit on their heart. Or if the Holy Spirit did tug on their heart, they shoot it away. It doesn't take a whole lot of faith just to receive a miracle. And that's what these people that were following Jesus were doing. They were there for the show. But now, as He is teaching here, when He is teaching lessons, when you hear a lesson... That's something that that it's kind of like when uh, your parents or teacher used to say, "Are you hearing me or are you listening to me?" Remember that? Maybe you've had to say that. Like just even like this morning, there are some people that are hearing me, and then there are some people that are actually listening to the words that are being said. Hearing is not enough. Jesus is trying to take these people from being moochers off of the blessing to being true disciples. So he's trying to. Give them an a inside glimpse of what he's doing and why he's here. But you see, again, the Jews just tried to discount Jesus. Just like a, a lawyer tries to discredit a witness. Oh, this is just a homeboy from, uh, from Nazareth. And uh, he's, just, he's just a regular guy. Now, that made them feel better about themselves. And isn't it amazing to know that in their pride, they just missed the blessing and discounted the true Messiah, just because of their understanding. Folks, they didn't understand who He was. They didn't understand Jesus' plan. Although He has showed them, and He's trying to teach them, here's what we find. Opposers often complain against those things which they do not understand. Opposers often complain against those things to which they don't understand. We see that when it comes to the gospel. We see that when it comes to the fact that, that Jesus is the Messiah. We see that Jesus is the risen one. And he has come, yet there are so many people that oppose him. Even as believers, there are things that if we were to go into the public square and, and to preach openly or to to share our faith with somebody in a public setting at a work A job maybe in this area of of South Carolina it might not be that big deal, but there are places to where people cannot share their faith. There are courtrooms that have taken down the Ten Commandments out of the courtroom, yet they still swear on a Bible to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. So help you God, isn't that crazy? But it's not always safe to be a believer now. There are people that oppose Jesus because they don't truly understand what he's trying to do. And, and look at this. The, the Jewish leaders, what did they do with Jesus' past? They used it against them. Hear me now, folks. If there's somebody that wants to oppose you, they are not beyond using your past against you. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, it's not about your past, it's about your present, and it's about your future. But Jesus challenges His opponents with His purpose. Jesus settles their complaining with the true answer. And the answer is before our world today. And the answer is this. Salvation and eternal life do not depend on the work that we do. It doesn't even depend on our full understanding of how this world works. I know that there is gravity. I know that there is oxygen. I know that there is a process of photosynthesis to where carbon dioxide is, is, is changed by our, our trees and our foliage and, and it produces oxygen. I understand that because they taught me that in ninth grade uh, physical science, right? I understand those things. But I don't understand how this world works. It just, it blows my mind. But even in the way God works, you don't have to fully understand how all of this world works because salvation is not for you to figure out. Check this out. Salvation is not for you to figure out because it says in this passage that anyone who comes to the Father is because God has drawn him. So that means that there is nothing that you have to figure out. There is no puzzle that you have to put together. All you have to do is receive. Let me tell you the difference between grace and mercy. And grace and mercy is what we get from God. Grace is when God gives us what we do not deserve. Grace is when God gives us what we do not deserve. And mercy is when when God does not give us what we do deserve. I am here by God's grace. I am here by God's mercy. And you are here in the same way. But we are secure in our salvation because of what Jesus did for us. So according to this passage, God initiates our salvation. Jesus makes it possible and our will. will either accept that gift or reject it. Now, it's... It's not on. I mean, it's not one or the other when it comes to eternal things. Now, I'm not going to go into a, a, a big discourse on this in this message. Maybe that's something we can do later. But but there are theologies that have split our denomination in two. There are churches that are in rubble and foreclosed on because of what I'm about to share with you. It is about a theology that was made by men and that people have fought over forever. It is two different extremes. There is Calvinism on one side, and there is Arminianism on one side. And I can't resolve that here today. And I because in a room like this, just like there's not all Democrats and all Republicans, there's not all Arminianists and all Calvinists. I mean there's, there's hyper extremes of both of these. But, but basically, if you take these two theologies to the far end, the Arminian, Arminius says it's all about free will. You ever heard the term free will Baptist, right? A lot of times free will means that you are a Christian because you have the will. You can choose to believe. But that also means if you choose to mess up, then you can lose your salvation. So it's all about choice. It's all about show. It's all about how you feel. And then on the other end of the stream are the Calvinists that believe that everything is by God's sovereignty and by God's grace and that you really don't have a choice in your salvation because as the passage says here, God does the drawing. He knows who he's going to draw. And so from the very beginning of time, there are some people that were born for heaven and born for hell. And that if you are saved, it was meant to be, and there's nothing you can do to shake that. And here's the thing. I am not one side or the other. If there are people in here that are one side of one way or one side of the other, we can agree to disagree because that is doctrine based on man. And I can sit down with the Bible and I can give you verse, v- verses that support both of those extremes. Me, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle there. As as we see here, Uh, for example, did you hear about the Calvinist who rode in an elevator all day? The Calvinist rode in an elevator all day because he felt he had no right to choose a floor, so he just went wherever it took him. But then that's okay, the Arminianist, how many Arminianists does it take to change a light bulb? No one. The light bulb changes itself. So you see there are two different extremes here. But it's not about whether one is right or wrong. We have to live within the tension between the two. What do I mean by that? That means, y'all can read this verse again if you want. If you are saved, if you are a Christian, if you have accepted Jesus Christ into your life as Lord and Savior, you felt that tug on your heart and you pray to receive Christ, it is not because you were good enough. It was not because you put all the pieces together. It is because God in His grace drew you unto Himself. But at the same time, it's also because at some point you decided, I feel that drawing. And I accept that drawing. Why did he choose you? I don't know. Why did he choose me? I don't know. But all I know is that when I felt that tug, I responded. And it's not about what I did, but it's about what he did. And what we see is Jesus is trying to teach them how to live within that tension. And then Jesus offers to them eternal life. Because with Jesus as the bread of life, his opponents could have eternal life, but they declined. They declined it. Now, I was watching uh, some clips the other day, and uh, it was, I was watching a clip from the Jimmy Fallon show. You know, it used to be the Johnny Carson show, and then Jay Leno, and then I think Conan. Or, any of y'all ever watch those late night things? Oh, I'm in church. I'm not supposed to raise my hand on that. But anyway, those other people are watching them, right? So anyway, this was during the day, and there was a clip, I saw it, and there's this actor named Rob Lowe. I don't know if many of you know him, but uh, he was like uh, Mr. 80s. Uh, he was like the heartthrob of the 80s. Uh, he was on like St. Elmo's Fire. Maybe you remember West Wing and some of that. I mean, really popular guy. And he still, he doesn't age. He's like John Stamos. They don't age a bit. And it is just aggravating. But he's on, the, he's on the show there. And he's got his two sons. They're pushing some new show that they've got. And they were playing a game where the sons had to reveal to Jimmy some unknown facts that people wouldn't know about their father. Now, believe me, I'm, I'm getting here to a point. The point is this, is that at some point they asked Rob, what is something that you would want that nobody would think? And then he just thought about it for a second, and I can't write it any better than this. He says, I want to know that I can have eternal life. His eternal life was not about What Jesus is talking about. His eternal life was about, let me make sure I can still look good, I can still be doing what I'm doing, and enjoy life, and that that this worldly life can continue on. But my friend, I wish I could be able to sit down with him. That somebody would come into his life and say, you want eternal life? It's not a wish. It's a fact. And it's available to you if you would accept and believe. And for somebody to want to stay on this earth... Look, I understand we have family, we have friends, we have our lives, but at some point it's going to get crazy here. And you're not going to want to be here. And I am so glad that as a believer we have a place that is not here. Folks, this is not our home. And as a believer you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you take your last breath on this bottle of dirt that your next breath will be in heaven. So the opponents, they've found his gift of eternal life to be hard to comprehend. The second thing that we see is that Jesus does not want to be a part of your life. He wants to consume it. Jesus does not want to be a part of your life. He wants to consume it. We'll uh, pick up here at... Uh, at first 51 he says i am the living bread that came down from heaven anyone who eats this bread will live forever and this bread which i offer so the world may live is my flesh then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant how can this man give us flesh to eat they asked so jesus said it again so i want you to understand that, that he's teaching this And they're not thinking like we think nowadays because we have the scriptures to enlighten us. They were thinking literally that he was talking about cannibalism. That people are going to eat me and they're going to have eternal life. They're going to literally drink my blood and literally eat my flesh. But see, the Jews, they were freaking out about that because in Leviticus in the Old Testament, there are laws preventing them from drinking blood. There are laws preventing them from eating flesh. There are laws for those. But it says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood Remains in me. If you like to if you'd like a cross reference to that verse, if you want to write in your Bible or make notes, I would cross reference that verse. Uh, verse fifty six. I would just write John fifteen five beside that. John fifteen five talks about I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me you can do nothing. But if a man remains in me, he can do anything. And he says in verse 57, I live because of the living father who sent me in the same way. Anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Here we see here we've got a group of opponents. We've got a group of pretenders, and they would rather argue about what Jesus is saying than to truly try to understand what he is saying. And this is very reminiscent. If you go back and remember when we talked in chapter 3, remember a guy named Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus told him, You must be born again. And he, he couldn't comprehend that. He thought he literally meant that you would get back inside your mother and come back out. So that's the same thing going on here. They are thinking, literally, you want us to eat your body and you want us to drink your blood? You're crazy. And he's saying, look, let me give it to you this way. Remember, he's primarily talking to a Jewish audience. They remember the stories of their ancestors receiving manna from heaven. There was so much manna that they would end up taking it for granted. They would try to store it. And it would spoil, but they would have it the very next day. They would walk over it. It would be under their feet. There would be so much. And they would have as much as they could take during the day. Folks, understand this. God blesses us every day. His blessings fall upon us more than we ever realize. If we would just take time to understand. But what Jesus is telling the Jewish listener here. And what he's telling us is that your ancestors ate that manna that came from God. And it sustained them. And it gave them long life. But they still died. But at the bread that I'm talking about, if you believe in me, you will never taste death. That is mind blowing to them. And they could not understand that. And why do you, this is not a reference to the Last Supper, which we're going to observe in just a second. But what he's talking about is, I, I don't know, medicine amazes me. How, when I have a headache and I take an aspirin or an ibuprofen, how does it know where to go? It, it amazes me. It's like, you know, it's got like a little smart pill in there. It goes, oh, oh go to the head. I guess I understand how it works, but uh, some of you that, that are in the field, if you ever want to explain it to me, I'll, I'll listen. But, but it's just amazing how you take a drug and it knows where to work. But you know what? There are instances. Have you ever taken the wrong drug? Maybe you forgot you took a pill and you ended up taking two of them. Or maybe you took the wrong pill you know what? After you take medicine and it's ingested into your body, you're not getting it back. It's, go- it's there. And so paramedics and doctors and nurses are trained to, if you put something in your body that's not supposed to be there, they will put more stuff in your body to counteract that stuff to hopefully knock it out. But here's what Jesus is saying by being the bread and by being... While drinking his blood, what he is saying is, I don't want to be a part of your life. I don't want to be a thing. I want to consume your life, just like the medicine. When I come into when I come into your life, we are inseparable. So if all you want is me for my miracles, if all you want is me for your power, then you are barking up the wrong tree, my friend, because. If people are my true disciples, I want them to consume me. And the last thing that we see here is that Jesus' message sifts out true believers. If if y'all don't know what a a sifter is, many of you in here bake, so you would know what this is. Basically you put flour or cornmeal or whatever in it and you, it's like a little pan with, with a mesh on it and you, you sift it, you shake it back and forth, and then what needs to come out comes out. Right? Am I right, ladies? Is that right? Is there a better way to say that? Okay, just check it. I'm not a baker, I'm a consumer. You can tell, right? But the, the, I understand the fact that, that the sifter it keeps the stuff you don't want in the flour, out of the flour. And so we see here that there is a sifting going on with this crowd that is following Jesus for his miracles. And it says in verse 60 through 64, it says, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How could anyone accept him? And Jesus, man, this blows my mind here. Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So not only was it bad enough that the opposers, the Jews, at the pretenders, but even his true disciples were arguing among themselves. Because, as I maintain, up until Jesus' crucifixion and then resurrection, many of the disciples, even the twelve, didn't fully understand who he was or what he was doing until the resurrection. So we have opponents that are arguing we have pretenders that are arguing and we have disciples that are arguing and he knows that they're arguing so he said to them does this offend you then what will you think if you see the son of man ascend to heaven again the spirit alone gives eternal life human effort human effort accomplishes nothing and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe and the ones who would betray him. Folks, many pretenders choked on Jesus' teachings. Many pretenders choked on Jesus' teachings. Maybe even some of you can remember maybe when you were younger. Maybe you were in a youth group setting. Maybe you were in a college Bible study setting. Maybe you were in this church many years ago and there are people that you thought would go to hell and back with you that somewhere along the way lost their way. That somewhere along the way realized that they were not true disciples. That, that somehow they were weeded out. see, you mean we have to give up our lives totally to serve you, is what they're asking? Are you saying that, that, that our life exists no more and it's all about serving you? And Jesus is saying, you got it! And so, you mean I have to admit that I am not strong enough to captain my own life? That I can't drive my own ship? Who are you to say that? What gives Jesus the right to say, for me, it's all or nothing. That I consume you or it's just not going to happen. Well, John fourteen six says it this way. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. You cannot follow Jesus for only his blessings and not expect sacrifice. It's like I say all the time, folks. We all love the fact that we, we read in James where it says, Blessed is a man who, who endures the trials, for he will receive the crown of life that waits before him. We all want that crown, don't we? How many funerals have we gone to where we just can't wait for the day until we see Jesus? We will sing Beulah Land, and we will just rejoice about that day, but we will see our loved ones again, never thinking about the cross that Jesus endured to make it possible. There is no crown Without a cross. And if your Christian life is always easy. My friend you're not living a Christian life. There is no crown. Without a cross. And these disciples are getting schooled. Because they are understanding. It's not about what Jesus gives them. It's not about the celebrity status that he holds. It's not about the tricks that he can do. But it's about following him. And serving him. And even his truest disciples. Had no idea. What was In their future. I love in verse 63 where it says, Human effort accomplishes nothing. Many of his disciples fled after this message he delivered. Jesus continued it in verses 65 through 68, and he says, On through 70, then he said, That is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. That goes back to what I was talking about earlier. At this point, (laughs) I'm about to get excited. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Many of the people that wore his t-shirt, that had his bumper sticker, that they tried to replicate his sayings and tried to wear their hair like him and tried to dress like him and all looked like they were followers, they left. They were out of there because they realized that all of this stuff might cost them their lives. And then, verse 67, then Jesus turned to the twelve and he asked them, I can just see, Jesus, check this out, folks. Can you just picture Jesus' eyes burning into the twelve disciples and asking, are you going to leave too? Are you going to leave? I know all these other people left. Are you going to leave? Then Simon Peter, you know, here's a good old Simon Peter. He is the, the spokesperson for the disciples. He is the one that, that acts and then he thinks about it. Right? And so Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus said, I chose the twelve of you, but one is the devil. Isn't it amazing to know That Jesus knew who would betray Him. Yet He still gave Him this message for eternal life. As you read this passage, you see that Jesus knows the pain of having fake friends and backstabbers. Jesus knows the feeling of rejection. He knows His people and how they act. And He knows that this world, and maybe even some of you still in here today, are still rejecting the gift. That he's giving us. But don't miss this. There are people. That were around Jesus. That were part of his inner circle. That were not true disciples. If you go back and just. I'm finishing up here. If you go back and look at that passage. What's the word Peter used? To whom? Where where will we Go! Folks, Judas had the disciples fooled. They thought he was a believer, and he was not. He was not a true disciple. And churches are filled with Judas's. They look the part, they know what to say, but inside their hearts are far from God. Some of our greatest mission field and the hardest mission work we will ever do is reaching out to those that are sitting in churches this very morning that think they have it all together, yet they are as lost as a ball in tall weeds. Judas was among the twelve, and they had no idea that he would be Jesus's traitor. And Peter was sure that all twelve of the true disciples Yet Judas was a fake believer, but he was very convincing. So the preaching of the word of God always leads to a sifting of the hearts of the listeners. And as we see at the end of this passage, the fake followers left. The fake just the, the disciples had left. The Jews had left. They all went back to their lives. The, the Jews went back to their, their religious, powerful, pious lives. The, those that were there for the show, they went back to their homes. But you know what? They eventually died. They did not have eternal life. They had life separated from God in a place called hell. Oh, are we supposed to say that in church? Absolutely. If you believe in heaven, you've got to believe in hell. Those people went to hell because they did not receive what Jesus was laying out right before him. And folks, God still draws true believers unto himself today. God still draws true believers unto himself today. Whether it be in here or in another church service or someone watching a TV program or or there are still youth camps going on all over the world. And there are kids that are coming to know Jesus Christ. But maybe even in this very room, God still draws true believers unto himself. Do you feel the pull in your heart, my friend? Is the Holy Spirit calling you to stop eating the temporary nourishment that this world offers and begin eating Jesus, the true bread of life, and letting him consume you? And there are believers in here today. Many of you are believers. And understand that the bread that Jesus gave was not just one serving. God gives to you day after day after day. Remember Jesus' words in verse 56. Anyone who eats from my flesh and drinks from my blood remains in me, and I in him. So my question to you is this. Are you going to be an opposer? Are you going to be a pretender? Or are you going to be a true disciple? Now, if I say true disciple, that does not mean that you are going to be a perfect Christian. None of us are perfect. But Jesus Christ is our perfecter. That means on the last day, when you stand before God and you're going to think about all the places you fell short, God is going to say, I'm not looking at where you fell short. I'm looking at what my son did for you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this message. Lord, and I just pray that today there is someone that doesn't know you as their Savior and Lord, that, that after we... Partake of this Lord's Supper, and we dismiss If there's anyone that wants to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are saved and will have eternal life, and that they have eaten the bread of life. Lord, would you have them not leave this place until they get that right? And now we honor you, Lord, through the Lord's Supper. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.